Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you all this morning. My name is Zach. I am the student minister here. And Rob, our usual senior pastor who preaches up here all the time, is on vacation this week. So I get the privilege uh, to kind of hop in here and share the word with you all today. If you came in this morning a little tired, a little drained, a little exhausted, defeated, I'm really glad that you're either watching or here this morning. If you're pumped up and walking with Jesus through a field of flowers, that's awesome too. I'm glad you're here this morning or watching online because there really is no better place to be on a Sunday morning than right here with all these people in this room. And I'm very excited to share the word with you all today, and I love getting to worship with you all. But before we go any further, let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, just for this opportunity to be here together and to dive into your word uh, together. Uh, God, I pray that uh, these words from Hebrews, uh, as Jason prayed, would fall on good soil and that I would communicate this message uh, with the gifts that you've given me. God, I just pray over the rest of our time together that we would feel your presence here among us for wherever two or more are gathered in your name. There you are with us. So God, help us to feel you and move in us today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So today we are continuing in our series, Ultimate and Supreme. We've been in the book of Hebrews all summer long. We've covered a ton of ground. And last week, uh, Rob talked about how Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and he did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And that launches us and springs us forward into today. We're, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm super excited about it. So let me get this out of the way right now. I do not like to run. Anybody else? Not runners? Yes, I love it. I am not a fan of running. I do not like to run at all. In fact, I would rather do almost anything than run. It's just the worst. Running's just not for me. I know some of you all run for fun. Is that a thing some of you all do? I, I cannot get there myself, but you guys are doing great. I love it. And I also hear that you maybe run against like other people and you wear like a sticker that has a number on it. I don't understand how running works, uh, but I will continue to like your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts and support you in that way. But I am not a runner. But there was one time in middle school, I was going into seventh grade. Uh, this was right before football season was kicking off. I decided that I was gonna join the football team. I was about as big in seventh grade as I am right now, and the coaches said, hey, you'd be good at hitting people with pads on. I said, sure. So I decided I was going to go out for the football team. What I didn't understand, because I'd never really been a part of football culture before, I guess, is that there's this thing called a 40-yard dash. Anybody know a 40-yard dash? Yeah. So basically what happens is you run 40 yards as fast as you possibly can and you're, somebody times you, and basically it's so that your coaches and you kind of know where you're at with your speed. And you maybe do it once in the middle of the season, once at the end of the season, whatever, to see uh, kind of the progress you've made, to see if you've gotten any faster. And I had never run a 40-yard dash in my life up until this point. This is the first time I've done anything like this. I didn't know that there was a form where you, like, put your hand on the ground, you get ready to run, and, like, I had no idea about any of that. I thought I was just going to stand on the line and run as fast as I can to that coach who was timing me. But I wasn't fast. 
I knew this about myself. My coaches knew this already too. I didn't inherit good speed genes per se. So I wasn't expecting anything great here. I knew my limits, coaches knew my limits. But what I didn't expect was what happened when the coach blew the whistle and it was my turn to run. So like I said, you start your 40 yard dash. I'm really not gonna get into the form, but just a little demonstration here. Uh, you put your hand, one of the hands on the ground and you kind of are in a low position. You're coming out of a low position because I guess that's how you run the fastest. When the coach blew the whistle and I started to take off, I never came out of that low position. In fact, I made it like two feet, maybe. And I just tumbled and fell right into the grass on my very first 40-yard dash attempt. Pretty embarrassing. I did get a chance to actually run it again for real. I didn't fall that time, but I was so like preoccupied with not falling that I just like got the worst time ever, probably. <laughs> and I probably would have rather fell on my face than the time I actually got. But did anybody else have to run the mile in like middle school or high school? Anybody else run the mile? Yeah, running the mile is like top five worst days of the year when I was in middle school, like just the worst. And then in eighth grade, our gym teacher thought it would be cool to give us a challenge. And I'm just like, no, not cool. I do not want this challenge. Uh, and what would happen is you'd run the first mile at the beginning of the year, and then you would run it again every so often. And in eighth grade, every time that you ran it again, you had to get a better time than the time you ran it before, or else there'd be consequences. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know what the consequences were. Uh, but the goal was to get faster, basically, every time you ran it. So there's some strategy in how you would choose to run the mile. Because if you're Usain Bolt, I know he doesn't run the mile, but if you're just sprinting around that track to get the fastest time possible the first time around, I don't know what's gonna happen when you don't run as fast a second time, but it's not gonna be fun. Uh, so you kinda have to pace yourself and strategize how you're gonna do this. So I decided that I was going to like jog to the point where I was almost like speed walking probably, like there was that line right there. And I would get like a pretty bad mile time the first time so that it was easy to beat every single time. And that worked for me. Uh, some of my other classmates just wanted to go all out because they wanted to prove something, I guess. Uh, but I chose to get a slow time the first time and kind of ease my way into it. Now I tell you those stories of me running for a couple of reasons. The first being that those were the only two times in my life where I could recall a memory where I was running. So there's that. And number two, in our passage in Hebrews for today, the writer of the book talks a lot about running. And honestly, if you're anything like me, it would be really easy to write this off. But I think if we dig deep into this passage, there's something really special waiting for us there. Like I said, we're in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. And as you're, you can get your Bible, get your app out, flip there, Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're getting there, I really want to fill us in on what happens in chapter 11. Because I think if we just read chapter 12 in isolation by itself, we miss something pretty cool. And a quick reminder from the last few weeks, this book, uh, the book of Hebrews, was written to Hebrew Christians. So Christians who uh, used to be Jewish but now claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have a Jewish heritage, Jewish background, all that sort of stuff. But these Hebrew Christians specifically, the ones that this author is writing to, may have been considering a return to their Jewish faith. 
And there may be a couple reasons for this. Rob talked about this a little bit last week. One reason is they may not have had a full understanding of the scriptures and who, how Jesus fulfilled those scriptures and that he really is who he says he is. And on, that's on a scriptural level. On a more practical level, the second reason they may have been considering a return to their Jewish faith is because it was a lot easier, it was a lot safer to be a Jew than it was to be a Christian around A.D. 70 or so. Persecution, real persecution, was spreading. And Romans, for the most part, left the Jews to hang out in their little corner and left them alone. So for the Hebrew Christian who grew up maybe with a Jewish family and a Jewish background, going back to what's safe and familiar would have been so much easier than following Jesus. And I know that's hard for us to grasp here today in America where being a Christian almost has a certain like filter on it on Instagram and Facebook. There's most of our Christian radio songs are happy and there's no sense of frustration or sadness or anger. But being a Christian at this time back then would have been a scary, scary thing. And it would have been much easier to retreat to the familiar in fear and in safety. But in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews gives their audience what some of you might know or some have called the Hall of Faith chapter, where the author of Hebrews lays out in details the story of faith of all of those who had come before these Hebrew Christians, that these Hebrew Christians would have known pretty well And the author begins each verse with these by faith statements. By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob, Joseph. And on and on the author goes, calling out nearly every hero of the Jewish faith, the ones that these Hebrew Christians would know so well. And saying, look at their faith. And verse 39 and 40 concludes chapter 11 by saying, all of these people were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised since God had something planned better or more ultimate and supreme, which is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that brings us to chapter 12. Chapter 11 combined with chapter 12 and throughout this book is kind of the author's plea with these Hebrew Christians to keep going, to keep following Jesus. And I think it has something to teach us as well. And I've got a reader for us who's going to read the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Give it up for Hannah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Awesome. Thanks, Hannah. So to paraphrase a little bit, to make this even more clear, 
So because we're surrounded by all of these people who came before us, these Hall of Faith people in chapter 11, let us get rid of everything that holds us back and the sin that just so easily trips us up. And let us run this race of faith with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the reason that we're even running this race at all. He endured the cross, one of the most evil and awful ways to put someone to death. Consider him who endured all of that from sinners so that you will not give up and lose heart. So these few verses make me think of a scene from a movie that I actually don't like very much, but it's Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And if you're familiar with, with Star Wars, if you're not, I'm going to spoil this movie. It's been out for three years, so I'm so sorry if you don't want to know any of this information, but I think it's super helpful in putting these three verses in context for us a little bit. Towards the end of this movie, our main character, Rey, is fighting the Emperor. And she has been knocked down and is struggling to get back up. And at her lowest moment, the Jedi, which for those of you who don't know Star Wars, Jedi are the, like, the people who wave the laser swords around and fight with the laser swords. That's who those people are. The Jedi from the past begin speaking to her and encouraging her to keep going, to get up and to keep fighting. That's how I like to think of these three verses here in Hebrews chapter 12. And maybe you're feeling a lot like Ray in that scene. On your last leg with Jesus, feeling like this Jesus thing isn't worth your time. It hasn't gone how you hoped it would, how others said it would. But I want to encourage you, don't give up. Look at the faith of Moses, Abraham, Sarah, all those who came before us. And look at Jesus who was put to death on a cross. Look at all he endured. Don't give up. You can do this. And the author continues in verse 4, and we've got another reader, Tony. Tony, come on up, man. Give it up for Tony, everybody. And Tony's going to read for us Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 6. In your struggle with sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. So the author points out to them, Hey, you may be facing some persecution. Some real difficult, hard stuff right now. But here's the deal. You're still alive. There's still a heartbeat in here. You haven't yet died for your faith like a lot of the Christians in this time have. And since you're still alive, there's a race to be run here. And the author reminds them of some encouragement that they should be familiar with. Well, yes, when God puts you in your place, when he rebukes you, corrects you, disciplines you, it actually is a sign of his love for you. And I'll be honest, the first time I read that, I thought, yeah, it doesn't really feel like it, though, writer of Hebrews. <laughs> it stinks. It hurts. Discipline's not fun. It doesn't feel like love, but it is. Because would true love look like letting us do whatever we want, even though we know it's bad for us? No. Sometimes true love looks like correction, training, discipline. 
So you might be asking, all right, what does any of this have to do with us? What are we supposed to take away from this passage? And first off, I feel the need to mention this a little bit, but I want to encourage you. When we read scripture sometimes, it's really easy to kind of fill in the blanks with what we're going through today. And for this passage, I want us to just accept that the Hebrews are facing some really hard stuff that we have a hard time comprehending and understanding here today and understand that that's some really hard stuff. So I want to encourage you, resist the temptation to kind of fill in the blanks here and make this passage about us. It's about these to these Hebrew Christians. But that said, there is still a lot to take away for us here from Hebrews chapter 12. And the first big takeaway is this. We have a race to run. Not literally, of course, thank goodness, amen. So glad that I don't actually have to run, but we do have a spiritual race to run. We have to get up and we have to move. We can't just stay on our spiritual couches and sit it out and stay still and think that's gonna work. (laughs) The author of Hebrews is pleading with his audience here to not revert back to what's comfortable, to what's safe for them. Run this race. But I have to be honest with you this morning, too. This, this faith journey, this race, is not a casual stroll in the park holding hands with Jesus and everything's great. It's not like that all the time. It's not flashy, either. It takes getting up after you've been knocked down. It takes perseverance, like the author says. Following Jesus is a race. And if you've ever run a race, which... People have told me what this is like. I do not know myself. I assume this is what it's like. If you've run a race, it's it's sweat-inducing. It's heart-pounding, intense stuff. It takes pacing yourself, knowing when to sprint, when to jog, fighting through when you want to quit. Sounds fun, right? That doesn't quite look like the Christianity I see on social media. That doesn't quite sound like the the following Jesus that I hear on the radio. And if you've been sold a version of Jesus that calls you to live a life where sitting on the couch spiritually is okay, and that's how it should be, I'm sorry, but you haven't been sold the ultimate and supreme version of Jesus, which is what we're here to talk about today and every Sunday. Here at Outlook, we strive to follow the Jesus of Nazareth, who loved those around them, him that many thought didn't deserve to be loved, that served others, that washed his friend's feet after walking miles in the desert in sandals. We do not follow a Jesus that conquered empires, that slayed dragons, that used a lightsaber. We're called to run the other race. It looks like service. Like I said, this race isn't a flashy one. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes getting up when you've been knocked down. And that leads us to our big second takeaway today. It's this. The race is hard. Talked about it a lot already, but this race of faith is hard work. As someone who hates running, I completely understand that metaphor. It is hard, hard work. It would be so much easier for me to just sit, sit it out and just hang out on the couch and not put in the work and to run 
the race. There are going to be many times in your life where it would be easier for you to sit out to not follow Jesus than it would be for you to follow him. Where it would be more convenient to toss Jesus to the side for a moment and come back to it later. This race is hard. And maybe some of you have been running this race like it's a 40-yard dash. And you've been falling on your face every time you hear the whistle. Because that's not what this faith journey looks like. It's not over in five seconds. It's a lifetime. It's not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. You might at some point feel like collapsing on the track. And you're saying, I'm done. But don't. Don't give up. And at this point, you might be feeling like the Hebrew Christians that this author is writing to. Like, man, I don't know about all that. Like, what I was doing before was a lot easier and a lot safer, a lot more comfortable for me. Why would I want to persevere for that? And yeah, that's, that's what the author is saying. This, the race is hard, and there's a race to run. But the author is also saying, and this is our final big takeaway before we kind of wrap all this into a bow. The race is worth it. Chapter 12, verse 11 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let me read that again. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And breathe. Just like a real race, you don't often see the point of it when you're in the middle of it. It doesn't often feel like the best thing in the moment. You might be on mile three of mile 10, and at mile three, the calves are burning. You're sweating a lot, and you're like, I don't know why I signed up for this. But keep going, because I promise you this, if you hang on, if you just keep running, choosing to follow Jesus when it would be easier not to, it'll be the best decision that you ever make. It'll be hard. Yeah, sure. But the peace and the righteousness and the goodness and the life that results will far surpass all of the hardship that it took to get there. If you were to interview these Hall of Faith people from the previous chapter and say, hey, would you, would you do all that again? Because a lot of those people went through some hard stuff too. Would you do all that again? I think they would say yes. And if you were to ask the early apostles and disciples that we read about in the Gospels and the book of Acts and in some of Paul's letters, would you, would you do all that again? Despite all the hard stuff you went through? I think they would say yes because the righteousness and the peace and the goodness and the life that results far surpasses all of that. It's a hard race, no doubt. But the end result is the most ultimate and supreme way of living that you could ever dream of. Now let's take a look at the big picture and put it all together. So we have a race to run. This race is hard. But this race is worth it. I want you to take a look around the room this morning. A lot of these people in here are going to be the people in your life that are going to keep you going when you feel like You've had enough of this Jesus thing. 
And more specifically, if you're in a small group here at Outlook, those people are going to be the ones that if you've ever, maybe you've done this for somebody else, but if you've run a race, you've got the little number thing on your chest or whatever, and you have people often who will like make signs for you and wait for you at the finish line or follow you along and support you and encourage you and champion you. And I think that's a cool picture of our small groups here at Outlook. You need those kind of people in your corner to run this race and to run it well. And what's even cooler about those small groups is that not only are they, are they your cheerleaders, they are running the race too, and you get to be their cheerleaders. I think that's just a really cool thing. If you're not in a small group and would like to be one, Kate, our Connections and Care Minister, would love to talk to you to get plugged in. If you would like to lead one so others have a group to join, she'd love to talk to you about that too. But another way that we, I think we can keep ourselves encouraged and to re-up, to refresh, to refuel is by coming here every week, right? This is good for me. I hope it's good for you every week, and I hope it gets you ready for the week that you're about to tackle. And I love that as part of our services every week, we stop and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross through communion. We take the bread and the juice, like I said, every week here at Outlook. And I love that because every week we have an opportunity here to stop, to pause, to remember and be thankful, absolutely. But also so that we can do as the author of Hebrews tells those Hebrew Christians to do. To not grow weary and to not lose heart. So in this time, as we take these together in just a moment, remember what Jesus did for you. Be thankful for it. And use what, all that he endured for you as a reminder today to not grow weary, to not lose heart, to not give up. So let's take the bread together right now. Representing Jesus' body broken for us. And now... Let's take the juice, representing Jesus' blood poured out for us. Friends, I want to encourage you. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. Run the race. It's hard, but it's worth it. Look at all that Jesus endured. Look at what he has done for us keep running. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning and just uh, these reminders from the author of Hebrews to keep going, to run this race of faith well, even though it may be hard. And God, may we use this time as a reminder to refocus and to refresh, to refuel for the week ahead so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. God, continue to be with us as we worship. We pray all this in your name. Amen.